0: You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Thursday show for you. Got some interesting topics to talk about. First off, we're going to discuss Draymond Green and what the hell's been going on in his life. We're also going to talk about last night. There was a scuffle in the Pacers-Bucks game over who gets the game ball. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like this before. NFL officiating is making some news. I've got some thoughts on that, and we're going to look forward uh, to some NFL games this weekend, kind of give you a preview of some of the games that uh, we're looking at. A lot of low lines this week in the NFL, a lot of close matchups. We'll get to all that momentarily. But let's start off with Draymond Green, who was suspended indefinitely yesterday by the NBA. He will not be allowed back until he completes – counseling, and until the league determines, they feel he's fit to come back. If you didn't see what happened the other night, posting up against Josef Nurkic of the Suns, just kind of swung his arm around and whacked Nurkic in the face, one of many incidents that are revolving around Draymond Green, and overall, it's hurting the Warriors team. They're now 2-6 and six in games that he is ejected from. And he is now becoming a topic of conversation when it comes to, is it time to move on from Draymond Green? This offseason, they obviously sided with Draymond as they dumped Jordan Poole, the guy Draymond punched in the face during a preseason practice last year, which he ended up admitting at the end of the season pretty much derailed the Warriors season. And said he could never get back to that level of, I guess, honesty and openness with his teammates because of what he did. And I guess he took responsibility for it and owned up to it, but he didn't own up to it until after the year. Like during the year, he was talking about it like, hey, we're good, it's behind us. But after the year is over and they don't end up getting to the Western Conference finals or even the NBA finals, obviously, he turns around and says, you know what? I just, it was my fault. So, I guess points for that, but we all knew it was your fault. And we all knew something was wrong with the Warriors team last year. This year, there's no Jordan Poole to blame. Draymond, to me, is turning into Dennis Rodman, where it's like, great player. When he's out on the court, he helps your team. But at any given moment during a game, he can snap. And it's like you have to walk around, walk on eggshells with him. And the thing is, Draymond's played like this his whole life. He's played with a chip on his shoulder. It's where it's gotten him in the NBA because, look, Draymond is not a ball handler. He's not a three-point shooter. He's out there for rebounding, defense, and leadership. So when he's out on the court, especially when we talk about today's NBA, where if you can't score and you're not a threat, you're basically playing four on five on offense. And that's what the Warriors are doing every single time Draymond Green's out on the court. But yet, he's one of the most important players, and he's probably the key cog in the Warriors' system that has made them this mini-dynasty that they've had with four titles in the last, what, eight seasons. If Draymond Green's not part of this team, they don't win four titles in eight seasons. It just doesn't happen. He is the one that, when he's right, and when his mind is in the right place, he holds that team together, and he's the leader defensively. The problem now is, is he hurting them more than he's helping them. You can't just keep getting ejected from games because you feel like flying off the handle. The thing with Nurchis the other night was so ridiculous. It didn't need to happen. They didn't really, really get in a scuffle. It's just, I don't know. He And Draymond admitted after the game, he was just trying to basically draw a foul, and he was kind of over-exaggerating. And yet in that over-exaggeration, he swung his arm, and it looked like he did a full punch of Nurkic. So I don't know if there's something going on in this guy's personal life that's making him do this, but his head is not right right now. So do you give up on him already? Do you immediately cut ties? I don't think Golden State is going to do that. The question is, should they? There are people in the NBA circles that believe this is the last straw. And they think that Golden State, if they are going to make any sort of run at an NBA championship this year that they have to cut ties with him. I don't see that being the case, but he definitely needs to change. So I I don't see them trading him this year, but I think when he comes back from this indefinite suspension and goes through counseling and addresses whatever issues are going on and what's causing him to just constantly act up every single game and do something to get himself ejected, or get himself suspended, if he comes back and still doesn't clean up his act, I think at the end of the year, depending on what Golden State does in the playoffs, but if his head's not right, they're not going anywhere deep in the playoffs, then I think they move from him at the end of the year. And the thing is, he's got it so good in Golden State. Like, Look at what you've built with you, Clay, and Steph. Four titles in eight years. And I, I just don't know why he would be so upset. Not to mention, this past offseason, he got paid. Like, there was a debate last year. Are they going to pay Jordan Poole? Well, they did pay him, and that's I think that led to a lot of Draymond's frustration and why he hauled off and wailed on him in the practice and punched him in the face. But this offseason, they made a decision. You know what, Draymond? You're our guy. We will get rid of Jordan Poole. And they did. And Jordan Poole didn't help them at all last year. He was terrible. Now, he might have been mentally affected by everything that Draymond did, and it just might have been tough to ever get over that. But he wasn't good for them last year. So it made basketball sense to get rid of Jordan Poole. But here's Draymond now, who sees that the team backed him, and they give him a contract, a nice four-year, $100 million contract this past offseason. So, I mean, he's got it all. He's got the money. He's got the rings. He's won Defensive Player of the Year at least once, but I think twice. Why is this guy so angry? And maybe we'll never know the real answer. I I, I don't know. I don't want to psychoanalyze him. But when you have it as good as he does, you've got to control yourself. And you can't fly off the handle on something as innocent as trying to post up Josef Nurkic, you know? He really needs to take this time out and realize, I am hurting my team more than I'm helping them. You would think that'd be easy for him to do, to understand, but it's not. I, and and maybe there's a, maybe there's a psychological thing with him, where maybe Draymond is sitting there going, I'm just not as good as I once was, and I'm frustrated that I'm not as good as I once was. So I got to resort to dirty tactics to get to where I need to be on the court. I but I don't know. I mean, the couple games that he was back before this suspension again did pretty well. You know, you look at his line in the box score and it's like roughly the same thing every every game between eight and 12 points between, you know, six and 10 rebounds and five and eight assists. Like, it's just like if you see a line, a stat line of 11, nine and eight from Draymond, like that's what he does. He impacts the game way more than the stat line. But he can't impact the game if he's not in the game. And these suspensions, this is the second time he's been suspended this year. This one's going to be a little bit longer. My guess is he's probably going to be out six to eight games. And then he'll come back. But if there's another incident after he comes back this year, I don't know if the Warriors can just cut ties with him mid-season. I don't think they would do that to a guy of his stature and a guy they just gave four years and $100 million to. But I think that the writing would be on the wall, that maybe they would bench him for the rest of the year, which is essentially, I guess, cutting him. But maybe they would just say, we're reducing your role until you figure it out. And then at the end of the year, just move on from him. Which is going to be really weird because we've only known... Hell, it's going to be weird if Steph, Clay... Well, Steph isn't going anywhere. But if Clay and or Draymond move on at some point, which seems to be the rumors right now, that it's just going to be really weird because we just don't see it a lot in the NBA where teams keep a nucleus together. What's the last one we saw? The Spurs with Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker? A threesome like that? The Warriors had a three-headed monster with, or the four-headed monster with, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and KD, but that lasted three years. These other teams are, you know, putting together, you know, two superstars, sometimes three. But how long does that last? These two have been together all at least, the three of them have been together, what, at least 10 years? Just don't see that anymore. But it's going to be weird because if Draymond doesn't turn his act around, they're going to get rid of him. They're either going to trade or they will flat out release him at the end of the year. And, I mean, somebody is going to pick him up, but Golden State might just say, you know what, it's time. We just, for whatever reason, we can't get him under control. Let him be somebody else's problem now. But it's sad to watch because I want to watch the Warriors be the Warriors. And they can only be that way if Draymond's head is right. And for whatever reason, it's not. And I just don't understand it. He's got everything he needs there. The the city loves him. It's got his money. The team chose him over Jordan Poole. Like wh- Why are you acting like this? It's like, again, I don't want to psychoanalyze him, but maybe there's something deeper that we don't know about as the public. And maybe only the team does. And maybe he's having family issues. I don't know. But, man, he cannot keep himself straight. And it's going to cost him if he doesn't turn his act around. So did you see last night in the NBA, Bucks played the Pacers, Bucks ended up winning. Giannis had 64 points. He had t- over 20 field goals and over 20 free throws, which is crazy. But after the game, there was this scuffle because Giannis wanted the game ball. And the Pacers had taken the game ball because rookie Oscar Shibwe, who was the former player of the year in college basketball at Kentucky, had... Um, scored his, his first official NBA point in the game. So they wanted to get the game ball for him. But Giannis wanted it. And when I saw this, I was like, I mean, yeah, 64-point game, big deal for Giannis. It's the most he's ever scored in a game. Maybe he wants the game ball. It's just like it's a, it's a basketball. Like, what? But you read the reports and Giannis wanted the ball to give to Damian Lillard who had made his 2,451st career three-pointer on Wednesday night, which moved him into fifth place in NBA history. And that's what Giannis said after the game. I understand when you score your first point in the NBA, you want to have the ball or whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, you're talking about the guy that just skipped Kyle Korver in the all-time list. In my opinion, we should all stop what we're doing and appreciate greatness. So it had nothing to do with Giannis wanting the ball for himself because he scored 64. He wanted it because... Damian Lillard moved into fifth place in the all-time three-point list. Giannis was 20 of 28 from the field and 24 of 32 on free throws and had 14 rebounds. First player in NBA history to have at least 20 field goals and 20 free throws in a game while shooting at least 70% in each. It's also the most points with fewer than 30 field goals attempts in NBA history. So, great game by Giannis, but... I mean, it's a basketball guy. I understand he wanted to do it for his teammate, but it's still a basketball. By the way, have anybody been paying attention to the fact that we have two major, major losing streaks in the NBA currently going? Philadelphia beat Detroit last night, 129-111. The Detroit Pistons started out the season 2-1. and one. Not a bad start for the Pistons. Since then, they've lost 21 straight. <laughs> they're two and 22. Like what <laughs> How do you lose 21 straight in the NBA? I, I, I mean, these are all professionals, but they're two and 22. And after the Lakers beat the Spurs last night, 119, 116, the Spurs, who started the season three and two, have lost 18 in a row. I don't – and especially since, you know, I was going to say, like most NBA teams, when they're playing the Spurs now or playing the Pistons, that's where they're going to rest their players. You would just think by accident one of these nights the Pistons or the Spurs are going to have a great shooting game and just – it just – it happens. 21 in a row for the Pistons and 18 in a row for the Spurs? Lakers didn't have LeBron last night. didn't matter. They beat the Spurs. I just, I don't get it. That's a bad, bad basketball. But what are you going to do? NFL officiating is starting to come under fire with, you know, especially after what happened this past Sunday, and the NFL is starting to look into things now. There's only only so much you can do because the game moves at such a fast pace. It's very hard, especially when there's – you know, a guy, you know, when we watch stuff on replay, especially when it's like a fumble or something, and it's like, oh, was his knee down before the ball came out? In fast motion, in real time, you're basically just guessing as a referee. And you know, you have replay as a backup. The thing with replay is it shouldn't take as long as it does because the second we usually see it on TV in a slowed down version, we're all sitting at home going, oh, yeah, that was a fumble or, oh, no, it wasn't. They sit there and they pause it. They freeze-frame it. It's very easy. It just seems like, why does it take so long on television and for them to do it out there? I don't know. But penalties are up. They're averaging 6.6 penalties a game this year. That's the highest it's been since, excuse me, 7.2, up up from 6.6 last year. So 7.2 penalties being called a game that aren't declined. That's the highest it's been since 2019 when it was 8.1 penalties a game. So criticism happens every year. Efficient chasing is going to be criticized every year because you have humans calling a very fast-paced game and it's damn near impossible. So human error is going to happen. It's just a matter of can we fix it up on the back end when we go to replay. The whole point of replay is getting it right. And I understand humans getting the play wrong when, yeah, You've seen how some of the close some of these fumbles are. Did he get his feet down in bounds? At full speed, it's almost impossible. Even if you're standing right there as the ref, sometimes when we see it on the TV, we're just like, oh my God, was his toe in? Is there a is there a blade of green grass in between his cleat and the sideline? Like, Even in slow motion, sometimes we can't know that. So how is an official going to know that? It's just a guess. But criticism is up. By the NFL in, in the NFL officiating, it's nothing new. They're going to look at it, but I, I just don't know what you can do to change it other than just replay a lot of stuff and just make your replay quicker. Now, there are officiating meetings this week in the NFL. It doesn't look like they're going to ban the tush-push play by the Eagles. I was f- all for banning it because I was like, I want people to run a normal play. But now I'm just like, I think this is hilarious that the Eagles – are so much better at this than every other team in the NFL. What are they? They've converted like 56 of the last 59 times they've done it. Why can't every other team in the NFL do it? Why Why are the Eagles so good at it? I have no idea, but they are. So why are you going to penalize a team for doing something really good? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, The kickoff rule that they started this year where you kick off and you can call a fair catch, apparently that's going away. That's going to be something that changed. So that was a one-year stopgap this year. I think they should do exactly what the XFL does on their kickoffs. Like, that's the whole point of kickoffs and why they wanted to control it because they didn't want guys having a 70-yard head start running at full speed to a guy running at them. I get that. Then do exactly what the XFL did. It's a genius, genius way to do your kickoff. You have the kicker by himself on his own 30-yard line. He kicks off. Your team that's part of the kickoff team is at the other team's 35. They have their guys lined up at the 30, and you don't have a 70-yard running start. And the guys can't move until the receiving team catches the ball, and he's got maybe a 10-yard run, and then you're starting to run in from the 30 as the uh, kickoff team. You're just not going to have many major collisions at that point. You just don't have a large running start. That's the whole point. So I got to believe they're going to go to that at some point. They have to. Makes the most sense. And then they're also discussing fumbling the ball through the end zone, which is something I have never understood. We've seen that play numerous times where someone is diving for the pylon, but before they get to the pylon, they reach out, the ball is knocked out of their hands, and it goes through the end zone, and it's basically a turnover. The other team gets the ball at the 20. Yet, if this happened in the field of play and not in the end zone, and you were diving for the first 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 down marker, and the ball was knocked out of your hands and went out of bounds, the other team doesn't get the ball. Why do they get it if it happens in the end zone? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Change that rule. It should just be from the point the ball was knocked out of his hands, the offensive team keeps the ball right there. Seems pretty simple to me. That rule has never made sense to me, ever. And hopefully that changes. But those are the ones, apparently, that they're looking in to changing. Did you look at the NFL slate this weekend, especially the gambling lines? 16 NFL games this weekend, 11 of them have a line of minus four or less. And you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of those 11 are three or less. (laughs) So I I just, you're getting to a point in the season where it's going to get tough. Like we're on a roll. Last two weeks, we've had really good weeks, six and one and five and two, so we're eleven and three over the last two weeks gambling. I'm already telling you, this week's gonna be tough because these lines are so tight right now. And you're looking at there's so many divisional matchups, you know, Falcons, Panthers. The Atlanta Falcons, while they are six and seven, they're not a great team. Carolina Panthers are one and what, twelve? Yeah. Six and seven versus one and twelve. Falcons in Carolina yet they're only laying three points. Of course the public is going to look at that and be like, what, the Carolina Panthers are only getting three points? They've won one game all year. I'm telling you right now, I'm leaning towards the Panthers. Because they've shown that they can play. They play better at home. The other week, they, on the road at Tampa, getting three and a half, they lost by three. Like, and the Falcons aren't any world beaters. We know this. And it's a divisional game. These teams are familiar with each other. Texans and Titans, Titans, two and a half point favorites at home against the Texans. This all comes to down to is CJ Stroud healthy Jets and Dolphins. They just played on Black Friday, the first Black Friday game ever. Dolphins killed them in New York. Now they're nine and a half point favorites at home against them. Usually when teams play two games against each other within a span of three weeks. Whatever the outcome was in the first game. You tend to lean towards the opposite in the second game. Yes, I understand that means taking the Jets on the road plus nine and a half. But did Miami look good to you on Monday night, blowing a two-touchdown lead with four and a half minutes left? Not to me they didn't. Another divisional game, Niners and Cardinals. Cardinals getting 12 and a half at home. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I I That's a tough one. Steelers and Colts. Saturday games. We got three Saturday games this week. Don't forget that. Steelers and Colts on Saturday. Colts laying one and a half at home. Both teams are seven and six. Right now, if the playoffs started today, the Steelers will be the sixth seed and the Colts will be the seventh seed. Like this is basically to stay in the playoffs. Because there's six teams at seven and six in the AFC, the loser of this one gonna have a hard time getting into the playoffs. So this is almost a do or die game. That's why I'm staying away from it. It's coin flip. I have no idea who's gonna win this one. Vikings at Bengals, Vikings plus three. They're starting Nick Mullins, and the Bengals are only three-point home favorites. Like, that line stinks to me. Why are the Vikings only three-point underdogs starting Nick Mullins, who hasn't started a game all year? Bengals have won two in a row with Jake Browning as the quarterback, covering both games, once as a 10-point underdog winning outright. Last week they were laying two at home and they won by 20. Now they're only laying three at home? Mmm, tasty. I'm pretty much sure I know what my best bet's going to be this week. Uh, I rode them last week. They were one of my picks last week. I'm probably going to ride them again as my best bet. I just, this is a bet against a team playing well at home, laying a field goal or less, versus a team that is starting a guy who hasn't started all year. I don't know how well Nick Mullins knows the Vikings offense. I got to take the Bengals in this one. Saints minus five and a half at home against the Giants? Yeah, the Saints were laying six at home last week against Carolina, and they covered. Now they're coming back basically with the same line against a Giants team that's won three in a row. I can pretty much tell you where my underdog play of the week's going to be. Back-to-back weeks, I'm taking the Giants. Took them last week against Green Bay. Is the underdog play of the week? They hit for me. Probably going to go back to the well on that. If it's not the underdog play of the week, it will be one of my picks because I still think the Saints stink. I need the saints to win. Still have an outside chance of them winning 10 games. Probably not going to happen. They need to go four and but I need them to win the NFC South. And right now they're in a three-way tie for first place. So they still have a shot to win the NFC South, but they need to pretty much go three and one at worst down the stretch. And then still would probably need some help from the Falcons or the uh, Buccaneers. But I think that's too many points. I mean, I know the Saints won last week by double digits, but it was also against the worst team in football in Carolina. So a lot of games to look over. Bills land two against the Cowboys. I'm staying away from that game. Uh, If I had a lean, I'd probably lean towards the Bills because I just don't think the Cowboys are going to keep this up. Um, They're a different team on the road when they play on the road. So uh, not that they lose all the time they go on the road, but they just don't blow – people out it's just a different game buffalo is basically in do or die mode buffalo has to essentially win out if they want any shot at the playoffs you have to win this game if you're buffalo at home and you know we'll we'll you'll have my place uh tomorrow but i've given you two of them at least if not three and we'll 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 place them of which ones i like the strongest in terms of you know the best bet and the underdog play and whatever, but um, there's a lot of close lines this week. Just keep that in mind. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Tell your friends about this podcast. Let them know all about it. And we're back tomorrow with yet another Sports Daily. So again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See